Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey, friends. Uh, before we get to what we're doing today on the podcast, let me first tell you about Abilene Christian University's Graduate School of Theology. Now, they offer opportunities to engage with a community of learners and disciples dedicated to the formation and equipping of Christian leaders for a changing world. Now, they are a seminary based in beautiful Abilene, Texas, accredited by ATS, the Association of Theological Schools, with globally renowned faculty who are both experts in their fields and spiritual leaders in their faith communities. They strive to be a community that is serious about intellectual rigor and spiritual formation. To that end, they offer a variety of academic and mission ministry-oriented MA degree tracks, a Master of Divinity, (coughs) like yours truly is, and even a doctor of ministry, which which I don't have. All of which are designed to cultivate virtuous curiosity and skills for ministry and scholarship. They teach you not, not what to think, but how to think. Now, faculty mentorship is built into the program, and scholarship and graduate assistantship opportunities are available to help make the program more affordable. Check them out acu.edu backslash gst i had a great experience go in there and i bet you will too now today on the podcast we are re-releasing a podcast that i believe was from june of 2015 four years ago long time ago and i'm gonna be honest there's been four years of maturing that's happened to me since this podcast came out uh you know i was fanboying a little bit on this was I talking over the guest a few times? Yeah, I was. That happened. But uh, I, I, I ain't embarrassed. It's where I was. It's okay. And uh, this episode from June 2015 uh, was actually an episode that uh, got brought up. I was doing uh, a conversation with a friend from Down Under named Kali from Australia. And uh, the interview was about uh, podcasting and stuff like that. And she asked if I had one episode that stood out among uh, of all the couple hundred that we've done. And she said, uh, you know what? I better know the answer to that question. And she said it was the two-part podcast that you did with Richard Beck and Rob Bell. And as soon as she said that, I was like, you know what? You're exactly right. That is the one. That is the one. Now, this one uh, was recorded down in Laguna Beach, and there's some backstory here. We talk about a guy named uh, Zach, and Zach is the drummer of a band called Jimmy Eat World, and we reference like this little solo project uh, EP thing that he did, and he's actually been on the podcast a few times, and you can hear more about uh, that project if you would like, but... Anyway, uh, we've got some Rob Bell here. It's interesting. He we, he was back on the podcast a few years ago talking about uh, how to be here. And it's the book that he actually references just turning in that day or the day before. And so it's kind of a neat little window into that. I loved hearing uh, Rob and Richard talk about uh, Evangelical Church and their connection to each other. Uh, but most of all, it was just a fun one. And I'm going to be real honest, had uh, not so fun week, but a pretty tough one for me. And uh, turn this podcast on while I'm I'm kind of watching a little baseball game in the background as well, and uh, just hearing this conversation put a smile on my face, and I needed it. So if you need a smile on your face, this might be good for you too. So here you go. So welcome so. back to the show, friends. Today we're coming to you from Laguna Beach, California, and we have not one but two guests. 
Returning to the show, Dr. Richard Beck and Mr. Rob Bell. Welcome to the show, guys. Great to be here. Glad to be here. Be here. Yes. Uh, we have been talking <laughs> for the last 40 minutes, hour, however long, and I feel like we should finally hit record on this. It's your show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it really is my show because it has my name. We spent it. a lot of time talking about Richard Rohr. We did. And everyone on the podcast loves Richard Rohr, which mm-hmm. they should. I, I actually, his, uh, his preacher is a, is a good friend of mine, and he told me how rude I was because I introduced Richard one time as not the favorite psychologist on the podcast ever, and not the favorite Richard on the podcast ever, but the second favorite psychologist, second favorite Richard, but our favorite psychologist named Richard. And I thought that was rude, but it's not. We've had Richard Rohr in here. It's true. No, it's true. Yeah, and my mm-hmm. dad's a psychologist. He's my favorite. Yeah, right? that's true. I'll, I'll play second fiddle all the way down. Yeah, that's, line, yeah. that's not a bad thing But at your all. dad's got to be the favorite psychologist. Yeah. Oh, I need to set up the podcast. Okay, <clears> let <throat> me tell you why we're doing this podcast. We have both of you here because a few months ago, Rob had a book. Rob and Kristen. Kristen can't be here today, unfortunately. I just texted her. Do you think she might show up? She might show up. I have an extra microphone. Awesome. I have an extra microphone. Okay, so Kristen and Rob had a book called The Zimzum of Love. We talked about it. While I was there... I meet Rob for the first time, and he says, hey, guess what? I'm reading Unclean, which is your book. It's one of your books. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. My first book. And so I come back to Abilene, Texas. I love that book. I do, too. I go to my dad's office, which is right next to your office, and I walk over and say, hey, Richard, guess what? I just talked to Rob Bell. Now, if you've never been to Richard's office, which I guess you haven't, it's (laughs) like... You know, the last time you were out in Abilene, Texas. Okay. Can you just imagine, like... uh, like B.F. Skinner, some of his stuff, paraphernalia around, or some psychologist, I don't know who the experimental theology, or experimental psychology guy, some French guy, right? Every one of your listeners is going, oh yeah, I can picture B.F. Skinner's yeah, office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the paraphernalia, I can picture that. That's not your childhood? <laughs> what is it, like syringes and skeletons and <laughs> no, okay, so boxes just, of sand? You know, what would this you, paraphernalia Do you know B.F. Skinner raised his kids in, a, in like a box? Yeah, so what I'm saying is that you give no effect you, 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 boxes? You, yeah, because yeah, yeah, he was a behaviorist. He, would, yeah. he didn't want to touch his kids. He raised them like in this, it was called the air crib. And I'm sure they, that worked like, out really well for them. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, okay, so like I was saying... Healthy. So there's cribs with babies who are not getting an infection, and there's all this Catholic paraphernalia. It's you know it's like it's like the people from Cracker Barrel converted to Catholicism. That's what your office is like. Is that okay? And then there's a whole shelf. <laughs> there's a whole shelf of Numa videos. Yeah, that's true. And I was like, Richard, you like Rob? I'm a fan. Rob likes Richard, and so you know what I did? I sent a word out to our friend Zach Lynn. We all love Zach. Mm-hmm. We do love Zach. Do you know he's got a new EP coming out? Like two weeks, right? Have you heard it? I have. It's so what, good. Desert, wicked desert. Wretched desert. Wretched desert. Oh, cool. It. I don't know if like, I'm going to have... Did it surprise you how good it was when you heard it? He sent it to me. I was like, wow, this is really good. And it's... I know your dream has always been to have Lady Gaga rip off some of your stuff. There's a whole backstory, which we'll need to go into later. Okay. But it sounds like Zach's like been reading your stuff, and it's kind of worked into his music. Am I fair to say that? Oh, interesting. We'll talk, I'll talk to Zach about it. Why, yeah. why is that? What's it about? What's what's it about? His it sounds it sounds like he's been, Well, I'll talk to him about. Okay, it. all right. We'll have him when it on. comes out. Yeah. Oh yeah, us speculating about someone else's lyrics when you actually know the person who wrote them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Okay, so I sent a text to Zach and I said, "Hey, do you think we should bring these two gentlemen together?" And he said, "I think it's a great idea." And so we made this podcast happen. We want to bring you guys, and it's almost like a theology and psychology mashup, but. To say that you're just psychology would be underselling your work. And Rob, Lord knows you're going to bring up physics and... It's been mashed up 
a long time it's now. Been, it's been, yeah. The mashup did not begin today. No. It, it's, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's just start. How did you get to like read Beck stuff for the first time? Uh, Zach started sending me Richard's blog. Oh. Like, and I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, Shane Hips had been reading Unclean. Oh, yes. So I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Shane Hips. He's yeah, yeah. He, he, up. Fall, he followed up. Was he, was he at Mars? Yeah, yeah. Okay, for a while. Mm-hmm. Together. Yes. Okay. I, I love Shane. He's great. Mm-hmm. So he introduced you the work a while back. When did you first get uh, introduced to, to Rob's work? Oh, at the beginning. At Vel- the beginning. Velvet Elvis. I feel like I'm like a yeah, matchmaker yeah. doing a dating yeah, yeah. thing. No, no, no. I read so that. Tell and, me about uh, yourself. Um, yeah, I read that when it first came out and loved it. And so followed that from, you know, in the videos. And, and those were huge at, at, at our school, you know, because yeah. the students were, were uh, they were using that in chapel. And um, and so I've read every book that came out, that you put out. Wow. So, yeah. I feel like you should give him a hug. It's, right it's, now. it's an, it, yeah, no, it's yeah. great expectation. You know, Rob Bell's got another book coming out. So, yeah, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I turned in a new book yesterday. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Can anything you're going to give us about that? Is it a? It's called How to Be Here. Really? Yeah, about presence. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, how how to not feel like your life is passing you by. How to not feel like you're skimming the surface of your own life. How to feel like you're right here. Yeah, yeah. Like this moment is not only enough, but it's. It's more than enough. What, what made you pick that topic? Why do you want to write I that book? I think it's the great disease of the modern age. Everybody's on their phones. No, I agree. Yeah. There's this fantastic rabbinic midrash about Moses and the burning bush. And it's not like he suddenly discovers a bush that started burning. It's been burning the whole time. He just didn't see it. Yes. It's mm-hmm. like in Moses, somebody's finally moving slowly enough to see it. So the question is, what are the burning bushes you're passing every day? And it feels like this is the great, we have more information, more technology, more opportunity. We're, we're hyper-connected, mm-hmm. and yet how many people they're, they're asked to describe their mindset or their mental framework, it's like, it's like a ping-pong. It's just, just yeah. all over the place in there. Instead of, we're right here, right we're now. nowhere else. And that regret comes from the past, and anxiety comes from the future, and when you're only here. I had a head injury when I was 30. I hit my head water skiing doing flips. And had a closed head injury and didn't know who I was and had really? to be introduced to my life. So I had to, these are your kids. This is your house. You're a pastor. I sat by the hour and asked Kristen questions about our life. And when she would answer, it would be familiar. Like, yeah, almost yeah. like I, How did I not know this? Yeah. So as the book starts, the first, uh, yeah. So the book comes out of something happened to me when I was 30. You're, okay. You're 30. You're water skin. You had started Marshall by then. I've been going yes. for a couple of years. Yeah, and I was working all the time like you're supposed to. Yes. I was a good American. Good American. Okay. a pastor. So you combine all that, and you combine a tradition that didn't really teach, you know, the emotion boundaries or right. emotional tools to deal with. You're 30, and your church in two years has exploded, and you're learning and growing and evolving and seeing things you hadn't seen before, and there's this giant institution that's growing up around you and mm-hmm. you're and all i knew is you just run faster and then, and then you, i hit my head and all of a sudden i'm staring at shafts of dust coming through the window and my wife made me a burrito and i could taste spatially every one of the spices and like pick them out and i know what you're thinking you're thinking this is why people do drugs <laughs> um, i had like a peak <laughs> It was like a peak experience. And my brain was almost like trying to put itself back together so it didn't have capacities for past or future. It only had right now. And it, it, um, 
I would weep at how overwhelmingly beautiful everything is and the depth of the present moment because we weren't racing to the next moment. We were only able to be here. Wow. Yeah, such a happened That's to me. I was in an intramural rodeo my senior year of college in West Texas, and uh, I was on a bareback bronco. I was told, and I landed on my head, and I woke up the next day, and I'm like I was throwing up and everything. And um, Did you say intramural rodeo? Yeah. yeah. Did your university not have rodeos? For intramurals? Our university, in Texas, they have intramural rodeos. Why like like the, fa- the most famous thing at ACU yeah. is watching a girls club do the dress a goat. Yeah. You ever see this? Why is this so weird? They, they, they let a goat out and you have to <laughs> dress it. Yeah. put pants on it and put a shirt on it. And yeah. Where did you that's, go to inter- school, That's entertainment in West Texas. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty standard. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I was so far off the cultural grid. Uh, weird. That I'm only, I know. Till you very dress weird. Ago. Wheaton, right? Is that where you did undergrad? And they didn't have up in Chicago? I get. Yeah. Huh. That's weird. That is. Yeah. So, like I was saying. So after, anyway, you're, after you've been bucked off the Bronco. Yeah, but the weird thing is like I had the concussion. I woke up. I was throwing up. Mm. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't write a book after that. I didn't either. It's taken 15 years. Oh, okay. So I still have time. So two years from now, I can do that. But, but, but in that book, so it sounds like that was an experience, but you've come back to that, and now that has to be something that's intentionally cultivated. It almost like it created a taste yes. okay. for a food I didn't know existed. Um, what would it be like to, to be present? It's almost like you discover a really high staircase and the first time you walk it you're out of breath but you're like if i walk the staircase every day i'd build up some muscles yeah right yeah. what mm. would it be like to take steps i have to to become more present and so it's 15 years of just learning and growing well, you gotta you gotta give me something like what is the what's the step like what are, what's the muscle memory that i need to develop to be present that in most moments there's a one and what's overwhelming is the 6 and the 19 and the 42. So right now, when you're thinking about what you're going to do now, but then you got the thing later and you got the thing tomorrow and that email for then. But in most moments, what's the one thing you can do now? So really basic stuff. The first number is always a 1. And so most people, when you ask them right now, where are you? They'll be like, I'm on my email. My brain is thinking about mm-hmm. the recycling you take out. I'm hurting from that thing that that person said. That I'm still carrying around because it kind of stung. Yet I'm also have a running commentary on why can't I just blow off that comment they said? Yeah. So it's not just a thing they said that hurts. It's I should be bigger than this. And I should be able to blow that off. So most people ask them at any moment, "Where are you?" Um, I'm stuck on this mistake I think I made that may come back to haunt me or not. Mm-hmm. I'm stressed about this rent, so that's coming up. Yeah. Um, but you can only be here, and you can only do the next right thing. And so for That's many good. people, you just immediately stop and say, well, what's the one here? Because the first number is always a one. The one right here is to have this conversation. Okay. Yeah. And that's all we can do right now is to have this conversation. I was rereading on the way out. I think I told you this. Um, uh, what, do we, what do we talk about when we talk about God? In the chapter Hum, mm-hmm. I, lo- I, I love the, the image of Hum, that there's this kind of yeah. vibration, this kind of sacred rhythm or mm-hmm. running through everything and it connect it sounds like it connects with what you're talking about attending to that yes um, yeah there's always more going on here exactly right yeah so that's the, the jane fonda quote from like a it's like a oh yeah stone. i can feel the reverence humming in me mm-hmm. yeah that's so mm-hmm. good it reminded me of uh, i'm sure you read uh uh nt wright's uh simply christian mm-hmm. when he talked about like spirituality is like bubbling up and there's there's something going on here you you read that 
I think I don't you wrote remember. a blurb on it. Oh, did I? I think you wrote a blurb for that book. <laughs> then I did. I wouldn't blurb without reading it. So. Okay. Okay. Well, but even like that quote, there's the people. <laughs> so there's like this, this reverence. There's something that's humming right here. Well, in, in your book, The Authenticity of Faith, which I, like all your work, I think if I was going to say like just a couple chapters, like the first part of The Authenticity of Faith might be my favorite thing you've ever written. And that book doesn't get nearly enough love. It, it doesn't. I don't even remember what the first chapter is. What was <laughs> the first why, chapter? That's yeah, why yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't even remember. I haven't even okay, read it. But you do. Okay, you do some work. <laughs> Does Luke know more about us than we probably? Do? <laughs> Does a lot of research. Well, Richard, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> when did this book come out? It came out right right after. Why are you unclean. asking him? It came out right after. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't There's know. No I, mean, I want to read it. Is, so. I, I can't wait to read okay, it. Okay, so what he does is he takes like Freud's critique of faith as though it's wish wishful fulfill- thinking. Yeah, yeah. Is, is faith fulfillment? Is, wish fulfillment. Yeah, is faith just for the, the psychology of religion? Yeah, hmm, psychology. So, so it's trying to take on Freud. Was Freud right when he said that religious belief is for people who are afraid of death and? And yeah. the end of consolation. Yeah. And so you, you so. kind of run the thread through mm-hmm. like the new atheists and they're kind of building right. upon that. And I, I don't know why I'm looking at you telling you what you wrote, but that's what happened. Feel free. So you, you, okay. you, you've already told Rob what I, he's I, written. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed Tom Wright a couple months ago and uh, I read a quote to him and he goes, well, that sounds like something I would say. And I was like, it sounds like something you say because you wrote it. And he goes, okay, that sounds right. All right. I think if you've written a million words. Yeah. He, might, you he, know. He's written like some like 60, 70 books. Yeah. I'll give him a break. Unbelievable. By the way, one time I had dinner with the lead singer of Violent Femmes. You know? Okay. You know Violent Femmes? Uh-uh. I've, heard, Violent I've Femmes? heard some of the... Yeah, I know that. Legendary I know band. Yeah. Um, and let me go out like a blister in the... Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I pull up to, to pick him up to eat. And he's reading a book on a park bench. I say, what are you reading? He says... Freud, psychology, religion. Is that like, you yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Like when the, you the meet thing somebody you who you yeah. sort of yeah. admired for <laughs> most of your adolescence. Just reading And then some you Freud. meet them and they're reading Freud and they say it like that. <laughs> oh, just reading so Freud. So great. That seemed just like my childhood. I don't know why I told that story other than it just makes me laugh that that. Can I tell you, we appreciate you saying that. Okay, great. In this moment, we appreciated that. <laughs> Okay, you brought up the, the, the hum, and then I went to Authenticity of Faith. Okay. It seems like you have Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, right? Mm-hmm. She was saying there's this hum. And then you have Freud saying, well, that's just, okay, wish fulfillment. Like, you hear that hum, and you want it to be that. How, like, on one hand, you have some people who go, yes, there's this spirituality bubbling up, there's this hum, and we're going to listen to it. And then you have the other camp is saying, I eh, just wish fulfillment. You want that to be there. Like, how do you bring those two things together and make sense of them? Well, in the book... I, I, I pit Freud against William James, and I think I don't know if you've read a lot of William James, mm-hmm. but uh, the varieties of religious experience, mm-hmm. and, and I, I get the contrast between those two psychologists is, is that James had this kind of radical openness to everything, to to the point where he kind of worried some people. Like he he was open to very skeptical guy, but but um, but had relationships with like spiritualists. Uh, and there's a great story when, when kind of a great earthquake happened in California that he kind of fell to his knees to just experience the, the rumbling of the earth. Like mm. he was just radically open oh. to experience. And I think I think Freud was always trying to explain everything. I think he had a very closed psychoanalysis, was a very closed theoretical system that everything had to get crammed in that system. 
And so I think it's their temperaments, ultimately. I really? Think, I think, yeah, I think, I think James had just an openness, and he, was, he felt that there was something, and I think that connects with kind of that idea that there's something going on in the, in the experience in the world that he was always very open to. Interesting. Um, well, your, your guy, uh, Jonathan Haidt, wrote the book Happiness Hypothesis. <clears throat> Is mm-hmm. that right? Jonathan, yeah. He's okay, a psychologist. So, yeah, so uh, UVA, right? I think that's what I think teaches. so. Anyway, uh, great book. But he talks about the cortical lottery. Like some people just, they are just more optimistic and they're just more apt to see things and be maybe present in them. Is that like where you're going? Like just some people have the right temperament and they can hear this hum and go, yeah, there's God in that. And others go, eh, wish fulfillment. I think there are some people that are, I guess, wired in a, in that sense. Like I've seen it even in my, my kids, my children. You know, some are yeah. just wired differently in the way that they might be attuned to spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's closed everybody, but I think some people kind of maybe have a head start. What do you think, that? Rob? Intuitive artists. I mean, I think I think yeah. that's I think that's obvious. Yeah. yeah. Some people are hypersensitive. Yeah. They just their radar is like turned way up to eleven. They pick up everything, which also mm-hmm. means they pick up sorrow and pain and yeah. pick up everything. When somebody says, when somebody asks you as a psychologist, oh yeah, it's just, it's just your neurons firing. It's just the divine is nothing more than physiological, psychological reactions to the pain of the world and making sense of it. How do you, how do you answer that? What's your sort of elevator answer to? Uh, the, the, the thing I go back to more than anything is, um, and we talked about this a little bit ahead of time, is how it seems like wired into the very fabric of quantum mechanics is this, we, we, we were talking about, uh, do you know uh, Telehard de Chardin? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm, yes. Okay. The answer is yes. <laughs> but, Huge fan. Yeah, so, but that, that somehow consciousness and, and, yeah. and pain is, is not accidental. I mean, it's, it's, it's somehow it's their presence in, intrinsic in embedded in existence. And somehow it all comes together to create human, human beings and art and love and all those kinds of things. And so, um, and I, the way he frames it is you can try to analyze that from the outside interiors and interiors right, right, and exteriors. Right. So every cell has an interior. Exactly. Oh, so unbelievable. So that I would appeal to that. I would say that ultimately there's an inside. It's just not going to be captured by that description. I mean, that's a fine description yeah. from the outside. Yeah. From the inside, yeah. there's not. You're not going to be able to explain with quantum mechanics what 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 it feels like to to have a child or to fall in love or to have your heart broken oh, or to experience grief. So well and so, um, and it continually freaks me out if we're talking about hum mm-hmm. sacredness or whatever that that somehow that is. You know, there in the universe from the very beginning, that the, the you know, if it, if it, had, <laughs> right, right, if it whole, has an ins- it's not like it showed up later; it wasn't inserted. It's like it's, right, it's, right, it's already right. when the Big Bang goes off. If that's what happens, somehow implicit in all of that is an ache. Yes, um, and, I, and I don't think we've science has even remotely figured out how to right, right, right. You know, describe that mathematically reductionistically yeah it's funny in your question about you know is it is is it wish fulfillment yeah that that Mm -hmm. could sit alongside like to create an either or there right of course there's elements of wish fulfillment yeah of course you want that to be true that doesn't Mm -hmm. that doesn't somehow make other truths not true Mm -hmm. 
course there's a, an element of you know what I mean. But what, yeah. like if I'm hearing that, I'm going well. It's just like as that is the conclusion of that. What, what well, the, I, yeah, that's to me the 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 binary dualistic mind wants to make it just mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. we are complex beings that contain all of these different dimensions, interior and exterior dimensions, and so when people. Uh, a woman just wrote the other day and she's taking a class, a college student wrote and she's taking a class in physiology and just read somebody saying your idea about there is no altruism because altruism has this wonderful mm-hmm. sort of brain reward yeah. for you. Just And her whole view of God is shattered instead of, well, of course your brain, it yeah. would make sense mm-hmm. that your brain feels good to move beyond itself in love. Yeah. It, why would it surprise you that the brain, there's a dimension, there is a neurological dimension to altruism? Yeah. You know, and no act then can be purely altruistic because the brain likes it. Well, if the brain didn't like it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a nice world. Like, yeah. like just you can see this wonderful, passionate, smart college, um, you know, sophomore, and she's just been confronted with all that religion stuff and God and love and all that. No, 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 no. It's just your brain likes it. And she's been handed these two different. You used to think this, but but the the reality is yeah, over yeah. here. Instead of, yeah, of course, yeah, it can all sit side by side. Okay, so I've talked to multiple people who have said the same thing about your work. Is that they were in that situation where they they had this this faith, and then they they uh, they face some sort of mental obstacle that makes them think, ooh, maybe what I used to think isn't right. And it's actually like a, a, a fair critique of religion or faith, and it starts to like deconstruct. You know, Rohr uses the language of construction, deconstruction, and multiple people have said I, I was faced at a crossroads of either giving up on faith altogether because what I had before didn't work, or trying to f- come up with something new. And like this third phase, this this new way, this reconstruction that Rohr talks about was something that your work gave them the ability to do that. Like wow. that, you were enabled to say yes. There's critiques from uh, the science community that says altruism is in your brain, and you're able to say, "Yeah, that's okay. It's like I'm I'm cool with that." Or um, I was at a conference, and I I don't feel really proud of myself for the way I handled this, but a guy got up and said to like this large room of people, "You know what? People have done archaeological studies, and they found evidence that uh, the Red Sea parted, and Moses led the Israelites through it, and there are like chariots and like." Moses's bracelet or something with his social security number on it that they can trace to Moses or whatever they said. I don't know. And and then I'm, I'm just thinking, Pete ends. You know Pete ends, right? Uh, oh yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you read Pete's stuff and he's going. Pretty much, most archaeological evidence is pointing that that might not have like conquest narrative. Different story than the Moses, obviously, but uh, that might not have happened. But you can still have faith, and so. For some people, they hear that kind of evidence and it just deconstructs all their faith. But there are other people who can hear that and kind of formulate and say, there's a different kind of faith that can be reconstructed out of that. Absolutely. And so it seems like that's kind of what a lot of your work does for a lot of people. Would that be fair to say? Oh, wonderful. That's great. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was a yes, no question, which I think you're not supposed to do as a podcaster. <laughs> But uh, no, I agree because I think I've seen it. I mean, it's it's helped me, but I see it a lot with students too because because when they encounter your work, they're trying to pick up the pieces of kind of a yes. of a conservative or a evangelical background, and the in the in the the answers that've been given aren't commensurate with the questions they're asking, 
and they just they just need different ways of thinking and and and, and reinterpreting yeah um, language and so uh, that that process of reconstruction translation yeah um, reorientation I think is the language yeah that yeah I mean it's, 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 mm-hmm. your lovely wife Jana had just brought us some water yeah she's working around in the background here yes. serving us thank here. you so really much Jana thank you so much. <laughs> Yes, we wanted to say thank well, you. I think that a lot of people were were handed a static view of the world. Yeah. They, were, they were handed a static view. Thank you so much. A static view of the universe in which there is a God who's probably sitting, probably somewhere mm-hmm. on a cloud. Yes. White and that's beard. a caricature, but it also is wherever God is, God is sitting and then may become involved in this place from time to time and if you pray enough or sing enough songs apparently or if you're good enough maybe but you know the holocaust would have been nice by the way and so what the static view does is then you do the right thing then this divine being you have this divine being's favor and away you go but what we know is pretty much everything around us is always becoming Mm -hmm. and changing and growing so a college student comes and they're not who they were they're living in a bigger wider expansive world Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, I think if, if we taught evolution earlier, look at everything. You don't have wings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, look all around you. Everything is always growing and adapting yeah. in millions and millions of different ways. That's why we're even here. Colors in flowers are developed because they're trying to attract certain insects for pollination. Like, everything is in. And if you look back, like in... I mean, Hebrew spirituality, like this idea of shalom and mm-hmm. this idea of it's good, it's, it's a living, dynamic reality from the get-go. Trees mm-hmm. that will make more trees, that will make more trees, that will have fruit, that will have seeds. And so what I think for many people is all of a sudden things change and they panic when not changing is when you die. That's how the entire created order works. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're not seeing that as hostile to faith. And you're, I'm saying it's, 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 I know it's like the oxygen of faith. Okay. If but, you don't have it, then you end up with people. Um, yeah. I mean, the number of pastors that you know, and have heard of who call me and say, I'm in charge of this big machine and I don't <coughs> believe any of it. That's not a good spot to right. be. I can't even tell you how many of all of those big time folks are in a thing that is inoculates people against change the moment. Mm-hmm. Cause how we grow is disruption. We hear something we haven't heard before, and we go, oh, my word. Yeah. And everything gets just right, you have to incorporate thrown it. up in mm-hmm. the air, and then you have to. But for many people, what masquerades as faith is actually a belief affirmation system. We come, the person up front opens the Bible, tells us what we've already heard a thousand times. We all say, so-and-so preaches the word. And if somebody did say something new, we would say, that's dangerous, and get them out of here. We'd fire them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and that's where I think the Freudian critique it yes. isn't to be wholly dismissed because you do absolutely because he, he has his finger on something there. But I do think the the I do think that idea of it's a it's a closed system that's that's adopted because of fear based reasons, and I have all the answers. There, there's something comforting at some point in life when you have that. But then when there's disruption, there's a data point, there's a loss, there's something that that can't be accommodated, and that blows up. Then. Um, so that idea of being closed or open, and I and I see that kind of trajectory in, in in your own work. That kind of that faith is this kind of consistent commitment to being open to experience. Yeah, and I mean, and just breaking into the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you have this moment in the book of like even the Bible itself, which is often 
sort of used to keep people, no, 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 no. You should stay exactly where you are because it's yeah. like Peter has this moment when he's being very clear. You know that we're not, we don't go into non-Jews homes. Yeah. And then he goes to the centurion. So there's a moment when he crosses the threshold when everything, neural pathways right, right. have been formed. We don't do this. My people, we don't come into these homes. And then the dream, he step. he has this dream and then he actually goes and he steps into a home. I mean, the Bible is mm-hmm. a, is essentially a library of books of people doing things they hadn't done before because he knows if I don't listen to this vision and I don't mm-hmm. go with them and I don't step over the threshold, something with him, he will die. Now, some people think that, you know, they have this moment and then they look in at people in the same place where they used to be and have like this disdain for them. Like, oh, I can't believe you're right there. And you, you had a, a section in, um, in Love Wins about like when you were a kid and you like say the sinner's prayer do you remember that you wrote a, you that happened you mm-hmm. were a kid once okay oh oh, Brain injury. oh 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 okay so you at the end of velvet elvis when we had gone to a church service let, let's go to love wins okay okay love wins you tell about when you were he's a kid. telling you again what you've written <laughs> yeah i have it i have a quote if i had no and what was it what was i referencing okay you're telling a story about when you were um I like that I'm telling you what you were thinking. <laughs> yes. So, Rob, let me tell you what you're thinking. I feel like now, I feel like like my dad when I was a kid. Like Luke, tell me how you're feeling right now, and he's interpreting everything for me. What you're talking about the sinner's prayer, like when you were a kid and you said it, and then in hindsight you look back on it and you see like the the simplicity of it and how you really didn't understand oh, all that. Yeah. But you don't. It doesn't come across like you are disrespecting no, where you came from. Mm, you understand like this is like a starting point, and it's a beautiful thing, place to start. Absolutely, transcend and include. Yeah, yeah. all these part, all these things work on you. They shape you. Yeah. yeah. So how do you have that mindset where okay, this is just part of my journey, and maybe I used to think this, but you you're able to embrace that as part of the tradition instead of just. Well, what's interesting is there's this great Hebrew word teshuva which has shuv in the middle of it, which means turn or return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And teshuva is the moment when you go, you, you, there's a path, you are on it, you wander into the deep weeds, or you just simply go, there's a better path. Yeah. And, and it's interesting among the rabbis, you don't at that moment beat yourself up over why did I used to believe that. Mm-hmm. You thank God that you've been given this new revelation. Mm-hmm. So you have all of these people walking around going, I'm, I was such a stupid Baptist. What, you aren't not, you see things in a maybe a more better more integrity more mm-hmm. holistic approach like not yes i do are you more loving and compassionate than you were yes then it seems like your first impulse would be gratitude not flogging you know what i mean how many people no, no. have you met are like yeah. i can't believe i used to believe that stuff but you don't now yeah. correct mm-hmm. so for some reason the universe god ultimate being whatever chose to illuminate you you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just fascinating how modern Western spirituality, so many people are beating themselves up instead of celebrating, oh, I saw it. Yeah. No, I think that's huge because I think you see that a lot in progressive Christianity, how it's still orbiting oh, the, the past. Still angry. Yeah, or, or, or still either judging it, it's get, yeah. go, go back to your point about being present it's still it's still living in the past <laughs> yes. and, and and i i am who i am because of what i've rejected or i'm different from them but it's definitely not a feeling of gratitude no right and yeah, the, um, sort of this just re uh, you you meet people who are just still like i can't believe all those people i can't believe all that it's part of your story 
So that's where you come from. I come from Okemos, Michigan. Like every time you hear like LeBron talk, I'm from Akron. I'm from Akron. Mm -hmm. Akron's home. It's like greatest athlete. Yeah. One of the greatest athletes ever. And when where he's from, I'm from Akron. It's the center of the universe. Like whatever it is, just own it. You grew up really rigid. You grew up with no background whatsoever. Any sort of, just own it. That's your. Akron. That's my story. All right. That's, That's my story. Akron. That's what happened. This is what my parents were like. This is where they took us. This is what I was taught. This is what I used to think. Hmm. I used to be the guy in the corner. You know, whatever it is. There's um, you transcend and include. You cannot leave that stuff. Hmm. It's a part of you, That's and it good. shaped you, and. That's part of where the gratitude comes from. If it had been always awesome, you wouldn't have this depth of gratitude. Oh. Hmm. All right, can I change the subject right now? <laughs> what? Yeah, we can change it. You're laughing and pointing me. <laughs> I love it. Okay. First of all, I just got distracted because I see the water right out there through the window. No. And uh, is there a chapter in your book about not being distracted by the beauty of the ocean? <laughs> yes or no? We were do- I was in an event at a hotel on the beach here were these doors that swing out to the ocean and no, a dolphin attention. swam by wow. and I was talking and then turned and went, look, a dolphin, and then just kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> See, good. Okay, Did well, they pay attention to you or they start well, watching the dolphin? somebody later made up a mug that they, they made a whole bunch of, who had been at the event, made a whole bunch of like, it was either t-shirts or mugs that said mm-hmm. like, look, a dolphin. Look, a dolphin. Was because it a two-day event? Yeah, because apparently the people who I went there, to a two-day event and there were yes. no dolphins. It was a different building, probably. What? How come I didn't get a dolphin? Because we heard you were coming. <laughs> That's really hurtful. That's really hurtful. <laughs> Fine. I'm changing the subject now. Okay. Can we talk about Love Wins? You wrote a yeah. book called Love Wins. Do you remember that? Vaguely. You'll okay. remind me. Okay. I'll... You'll refresh me. I'm <laughs> trusting yeah. that. If he doesn't remember, you'll let him know. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. You look at me like I'm the Nazi for remembering everything. I don't know why Nazis remember everything. It's, it's a weird analogy. But Nazis and elephants, they remember everything. Exactly. Now... I might be weird because I remember a few quotes from a few books. You wrote a blog series about the book, which I, I did. think the word count was pretty much one for one. Everyone, I, oh, that's awesome. I blogged all the way through it, mainly because I thought it was an important book mm-hmm. and and it was getting dinged and I wanted to to, 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 to to reflect on it because I think it was really important. You said that it was um, uh, like a, a better or more accessible version of uh, Lewis's... Um, Divorce? Divorce, yes. Well, yes. I mean, I think, and I think I told you this at, that when we met at Christianity 21, I said that, that I was really grateful for it because I still think that is, that's one of those things that students stumble across mm. and they can't accommodate just kind of a classic orthodox, or I don't know if it's orthodox, but a traditional vision of kind of eternal conscious torment. What do you think it is about that that makes it such a hard issue? I think, I think it's because the societies, I think it's, uh, we're, we're more exposed to pluralism because of the internet now, I think. I think, I think we, we, you could kind of live in little cultures of sameness, but, mm-hmm. but now the world is just kind of blown wide open, and this generation is living with a lot of diversity, faith diversity, even lots of, you know, as, as unbelief is mm-hmm. rising, they, but they know good people. Um, and they also struggle with the problem of suffering and um, they think about things like the Holocaust. And so then you lay on top of all of that, the belief that all of those people, God's going to, that they're going to torture for it, eternity. I mean, they, they just can't, that doesn't compute. That doesn't feel, doesn't feel right. Doesn't emotionally feel pro- right. And they, and they trust their feelings on this They're And I, and I think they're right for that. Yeah. Um, and I remember vividly, I had a student, my, her freshman year and, uh, 
um, she she raised her hand, and our school is not a Calvinist school. Um, we're an Arminian school, but but she raised her hand the first weeks of class and said, "I'm a Calvinist." Like, just Did you make her go stand in the hallway. I I, I accepted her, I, I, but I thought it was a weird thing to just describe yourself. Isn't it that interesting way. how yeah. theology is personal? Yeah, and, how, and she wanted us to know. Yeah. And three years later, I remember her catching me on the campus and just overjoyed and said, I, do you remember when I said I was a Calvinist? And I, yeah, I, I do. She goes, I don't think I believe that anymore. And she quote this quote, she goes, I think love wins in the hmm. end. And I said, I, I agree. And, um, and for, for those kinds of stories, that's why I appreciate, I appreciate you yeah. writing the book and taking yeah. a hit you did because yeah. if, what, what I told you then at the conference was it makes a difference. It, it saves the faith as, 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 as people of faith try to mm. make sense of, of, of these kinds of things, um, they need, they need help. And it's nice to be able to handle a book that they can. Wow. I mean, I like Lewis. This is a great divorce, but it's a little weird mm-hmm. and, and it's a little, you know, it's really like they're taking bus trips to heaven and they don't, I mean, it's not the most accessible yeah. book. Yeah. So <laughs> I agree. And so we, we appreciate you write, writing the book. Thank you. That's from me Thank and you. Richard. Yeah. We're both giving you a, Thank appreciate you. Thank it. you for doing that. That means a ton. You're welcome. Okay, so uh, one of the premises for the book is the idea that love requires freedom. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yes? I've, I've always thought that, or maybe I'd just say that after I've read your book, but I, it makes sense to me. Love requires freedom. If you want someone to love you, um, you, they have to give them the option. If you force someone to love you, they typically arrest you for that in the States. Okay, that's that. It, love requires freedom. That's just kind of built into the equation. Now, here's where it seems like your... Uh, take on this from your background in psychology is kind of pushing against that. And it's, well, I'll just let you make the kind of what your, your take on it with the, uh, the determinism and how that influences love and affection and how we choose. Yeah. I guess this would be one point of contrast between, and I don't know where, where you connect with this, but I've always felt, I've always had a very much, a very optimistic. So when I was going through college and people handed me Lewis's The Great Divorce and um, that idea that the door of heaven is locked, but it's locked from the inside. Um, I've, al- I've always felt that that um, wasn't psychologically plausible that somebody could resist for eternity you know the infinite what? yeah pursuit so of god i i i just i just um I, I don't know i just don't find it psychologically plausible that somebody could resist like you don't think someone time. could just sit in the corner and say i would rather burn in hell than accept your love like yeah well if god was infinitely resourceful you know and but and plus part of it is also the kind of the psychological perspectives I bring in that freedom is is a, is a capacity that's created that we become more and more free. Go 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 back to this idea of mm. openness is the, the, the mm-hmm. more and more we become um, who we're, who we're meant to be. Education, all the different things where we're, you know that that that, that things are, are opening up, mm-hmm. um, not just the cosmos, but human beings and that that if, if if we trace out that trajectory that ultimately everything gets reconciled to god so i've always had kind of love it so um, the wear down theory yeah yeah that but, nobody could resist given in 
given time. Yeah, but it's but it's but but to me, it, I think it connects back with, which is why I was rereading it coming out here. Um, lots of things you say in um, what we talk about. When we talk about God when you say everything's connected, and the moral arc of the universe is you know bending towards. Justice. justice, you know that, that mm-hmm. it, you know that that that, 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 that it implicit in that view. Yes, I think it has a very hopeful eschatology to use some jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, but although, the, although I definitely, I mean, I understand the concern that we definitely want to somehow preserve the autonomy of the human agent in, you know, with freedom. Um, but, but you would say that we don't really have freedom; that, that we can't make the choice. It has to be like our wills have to be realigned. And we don't have the capacity to do that. That that's something that God kind of has to do. Is that fair? Yeah, I think psychologically, I would say that there's volition, there's will, but there's also affections. So I like Augustine's idea that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so I might be able to choose. I might be free, but if my affections... And we can't change our affections. um, Well, it's harder to, you know, unless something happens to me that changes... You know my heart, so I think we're a lot. We're free, but we often aren't free in a sense that it moves us forward. We often get stuck because we're loving the wrong things. But so somehow I see God is His salvation is ultimately not just kind of providing you scope to just do whatever you want to do, but but fundamentally nurturing, healing, gathering our affections, and as those affections get aligned. Um, we become free. But that, I, I, and this this go this goes back to kind of like. Telhard de Chardin that, 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 that this is something that we're moving towards. Mm-hmm. Omega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're moving towards. Omega point. Uh, yeah, an uh, omega point where we become free. Hmm. So we're becoming freer as, as, yes. as, as things are moving along. Um, but, and some of us are more or less free, I would argue, yeah. in, in where we are right now currently. So, so it's not so much that I de- deny the premise. I just think of a... Of a a multi-layered vision of what, it, what, what freedom might actually mean. One of, the, one of the things I was trying to do in the book is throw a bunch of things against the wall because if I just keep throwing them against the wall, there's a chance one of them for somebody will be like the, oh. And so part of the freedom thing mm-hmm. is just for the person who that's the, the like the release valve where they right. go, oh. Hmm. Oh, you're right. If it's love, then you would have to be... And actually, my point undergirding that was simply all of the people who... The thing is so drilled down deep in them, God sends you to. And and, and, in my experience, for for some folks, if you could just move them to... No, 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 you're you're not forgiving your brother-in-law. You're sending yourself there right now. Hmm. You're creating a hell right now. So part of the freedom thing for me was for some people the thing that will open the door into a whole new world for them will simply be this idea. You you're free to create all kinds of stuff right now. What's the response mm-hmm. you've gotten? Um, from, from you know what I mean? So sometimes, sometimes, and I've noticed sometimes you're just trying to give the person the thing, but that like, if you add yeah. second, third, fourth insight into that statement, you're like, well, that kind of breaks down. Um, but that one insight, my experience has been for a number of people, when you move heaven and hell into the present, and choices we make about the kind of world mm-hmm. we're going to be in. There's a number of people. You're free. You realize that. You're free. And you can mm-hmm. cling to your story 
You can trust a better story about you. You can not forgive. You can be greedy. You can be mean. Uh-huh. You can be nasty. Um, or you can, you're free also to create all sorts of interesting things. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think freedom, there's freedom from, which is all the people who are all excited because I don't have to, and then there's freedom for. And you'll not like that's why rebels are often terrible leaders as they're preaching freedom mm-hmm. from. We're going to be free from that oppressor. We're going to chop off his head and take over. Then they turn out to be terrible administrators because there's freedom from, which is just I can tell you what I want to be free from. Yeah. But then now that you have freedom, mm-hmm. what are you going to use it for? Hmm. And lots of people get very excited about toppling dictators and being free from their parents and free from rigid systems, mm-hmm. um, which is very different from freedom is for something. Yeah. What will you actually, what will you build? Mm-hmm. What will you make? Who will you help? Which I think is very interesting. But I go back, um, Dicharnet has deeply shaped me, especially his Omega Point. And the only thing, I mean, the vision that I find absolutely extraordinary is all things being reconciled and put back together and everybody. And it's yeah. interesting, what the first 300 years of church history, the general, yes. mm-hmm. we were much more optimistic, as mm-hmm. many have pointed out. Yeah. Um, and I think in the book, I had a sense that for the people who needed the book, you can only go so far. So if I would, yeah. what I, I would have been like, actually, I think the only story that resonates in my bones is every single little fragment and shard of it being put back together in some mm-hmm. mind-blowing way. For a lot of people, that's just... My editor always says, you got to be a half step, not a full step ahead. But I think that vision comes through the book. <laughs> That's yeah. right. You know? I do think that, so, I do think that um, vision does come through the book. And the point about choice is well made because, you know, um, our... our preacher is Jonathan Stormont, and he, he's preaching a series on hell, and that's exactly the kind of frame he gave oh. hell, you know, that it's a choice... And, and and you can have as much hell as you want, you know, yeah. just straight, you know, you know, s- straight out of kind of love wins and Lewis mm-hmm. and um, Jana's mom said to me, um, I'd never thought of it that way. Right. And you have all the people like, I'm so glad I love love wins. I'm, I totally don't believe in hell either. Yes, you do. <laughs> you have a television, you have Internet and you've seen Sudan. Yeah. You've seen the guy in Ohio who kidnapped yeah. those girls from a couple streets over and had them in his basement for 10 years. Of course you believe in, in, in a house. Of course you believe in absence, isolation, mm-hmm. alienation, abuse, deprivation of basic human rights. Of course you believe in, yeah. in, in a hell. Now, a mm-hmm. guy with a pitchfork and a flame thing below the earth or something. But the idea of a hell, the idea of a place that is absent of all that mm-hmm. we cherish and honor about God, love, life, trust, grace. Um, so I think some. So there, ha, there has to. We are free to make those sorts of things, and we do. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, the other day, we had this great conversation. He's like, "I just, I have the word. Sin, I just have sin is the completely irrelevant word." And I said, "What do you call rape?" <laughs> so I was like, "It's fine. I totally yeah. get it. If you can't use sin, then just what's the word yeah. for the disruption, the destruction of shalom?" Um, so if sin is no longer means anything to you and it's got all this other language, you're somewhere then in mm-hmm. your vocabulary, you must have some loaded electric word that you use to describe rape. Yeah. Same with hell. Like, uh, fine, hell is attached to a bunch of things about God that you don't believe in. Fine, then what is your word mm-hmm. for when we turn our backs on everything good and true and beautiful and right and all that? Hmm. 
Because you've got it in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, who is it? As a Beekner says, you can reject it all you want. It will reappear under a different name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the powerful <laughs> things about religion. The, mm. is, is it does provide a vocabulary for yes. things that we've just lost the vocabulary for. Right. Um, and if we the, only, do, the only words we have for a lot of this stuff is just the language of mental health. And, yeah. You know. Um, yeah. There needs to be a bigger word. And whenever, yeah. some, whenever you see somebody mm-hmm. tossing something, I can't do any of that anymore. I get it. Fine. You got to clean the deck. You got to repaint the house. Fine. But all of those things, uh, <laughs> when we had first planted our church, I was big into like, church is such a toxic word. It means we're a faith community. We're a faith community. That's We're, we're a community of disciples. We're a community of disciples. People are like, uh, you mean a church? And I was like, <laughs> we're not Christian. I'm not using the word Christian anymore. It's disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus. I got this whole thing built into our statement of faith is we're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so I had this guy type out a whole book and every page was just we're making disciples oh, who make disciples who make disciples. <laughs> so I was always like, so you guys Christian? Well, you know, we're really followers of Jesus. We're disciples of Christ. We believe it's a way of being in the world that you live with mm-hmm. an abiding trust. And they'd be like, so you, so you mean Christian? <laughs> <laughs> My, the, the church that I started doesn't have the word church in it either. It just says community. And um, that is like one of the biggest regrets I have. I was like, Rob, why don't you just give me that email like six years ago? That would really, <laughs> I really would appreciate that. Can we transition? Let's talk another different book. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, this may be kind of like a, um, uh, a little thing between you and me, Richard, that I feel like I need to get off my chest. Uh, a few months ago, I came out. He's setting something up there. What do you, no, I just need to get this off my chest. Is that? Do I have to watch? Yeah. You don't have to. You can turn your head. Um, this is why Look, he's a researcher, not dolphin. a counselor. No, it's not going to, it's not going to work this time. Wait, is there one? There's a dolphin. Um, so I come out to California, and I talk to Kristen and Rob about a book called The Zimzum of Love. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm and I'm going to check and see if she's coming, by the way. I'm not she? being rude. I want you to be present and check on Kristen, because that's very important. Um, because The Zimzum of Love is it's mm-hmm. important. It's dynamic, sacred, exclusive, and reactive. Those are the four points of this book. He didn't even get that. It's true, though. I got it. You did? <laughs> Great, yeah. Okay. So I come out here, and um, you withheld something from me that's very important. You knew, you had a good assumption that the word Zimzum was introduced to Rob Bell, possibly. Maybe. Possibly. It's a hypothesis. By the work of Jürgig Moltmann. That's that, a theory. That was my... That's I, your theory. I now you, that. We're, we'll, we'll confirm that Man, later. Man, I love Moltmann. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you knew that, and you didn't tell me. I'm coming to talk to Rob. You never said, hey, Luke, you might want to check. You might have got that from Moltmann. I didn't have that. That would have been a great little nugget for me. Instead, you know what I went with? I brought up that 1980s rap group Rex and Effects because I didn't have Maltman in my bag of points to go to. Do you have anything you'd like to say to me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's no. not where I got it. Is that not see so this whole little thought. therapeutic exercise? Is <laughs> where'd you get it? Where, where, how'd you, where'd you stumble across it? Um, because I think Maltman uses it in Trinity the, and Kingdom. I think reading it in uh the. Isaac Luria and the oh, so just reading, yeah, the so 1500s. just reading probably a the compendium of the yeah. primary sources. So he's reading the primary sources. I was, uh, wow. but it wouldn't have been. It would have been some. Let me introduce you to the ten most interesting ideas. One of those sort of um, commentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't tell me then, because I would look like an idiot <laughs> if I'd have brought that up. But you, you have an interest in that word because it, there's a connection to hospitality, which is a big theme, obviously, in a lot of your work, obviously. Yeah, I was introduced to it but from my friend Mark Love, who runs a 
graduate program up at Rochester College, and he uses the word. Um, well, well par- partly when we were talking, I was like, you know, Rob's getting dinged for using this word. You know this fancy word that, and I was like, no, no, I think this is this is this is a word. No way. Did you did you hear people get? You're like, not allowed to use fancy words. Yeah, well, apparently, that, that's I, like your go-to thing is words. I, I thought some people thought you know you'd pick this kind of word, and it was from the Jewish mystical tradition, and and I'm waiting for the negative part. You're trying to stick uh, up for him, though. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying. Yeah. I said no. I think this is this this word has a lot of theological pedigree because. I know more. You know what's, fu- you know what's funny to me? What was that? I love. It's um, there. There's some suspicion because it's from the Jewish mystical tradition. Okay, first off, Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> the disciples are Jewish. David is Jewish. Abraham is Jewish. <clears throat> Moses is Jewish. So, is do you have a problem with Jewish? Because if you do, then billions of people on the planet have a problem with you. Secondly, <laughs> mystical from the word mysticism, meaning to have an authentic experience of the divine. Mm. I'm so with you, brother. I'm with you. How upside down, bass backwards have things been? When that's you know that's yeah. a Jewish mystical idea. That's an idea rooted in the tradition that my tradition is rooted in about an actual flesh and blood experience of the divine. <laughs> That sounds Think scary about, to me. Sometimes you have to like take critiques and like just have a good time yeah, with I, the complete yeah. absurdity. <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. one time someone said, "It sounds like you're talking about something Middle Eastern." <laughs> it's not awesome. They were like, "Don't yeah. listen to him." Oh, some group that was doing flyers or some protest because he, he you know, that's a he's talking about Middle Eastern religion. <laughs> Kind of like Christianity. <laughs> is that the best critique? Are you serious? That's the problem here. Hmm. This is Middle Eastern. That's <laughs> that's dangerous. That's dangerous. We need American religion. Yeah. That is the right one. That is the right. One. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, no, no. So. Well, but but I heard the word from Mark's because he uses it, and I think he got it. I think Mark got it from Moltmann that when he he does a he does a a whole class on hospitality as leadership. Oh, fantastic. And uh, they begin with, you know, I say, w- when do we first pick up hospitality um, in the in the scriptures? And, and most people go to like Genesis 18, you know, Abraham welcomes the three strangers and shows hospitality. Earlier. But, but, but Mark's students will say, no, no, in the very act of creation, God... You know, Zimzums. God makes room. Oh, and and come and, on. and then basically just Lori's work. But so he uses Zimzum as hospitality language that that we're always making room uh, oh, for each other. Fantastic. And anyway, so I was thrilled when I read it in the book because I felt that it was more than just a marriage book because I felt like Good. it was a. I, I felt it was all about church all the way through it. The, oh, the, the, beautiful. The, the, we would often in the book, yeah. Because we sat by side, side by side for a year and a half, we would often have to be like, this is Zimzum of marriage because of our reflection and our writing kept taking us into the Zimzum of parenting, the Zimzum right, of business. Exactly. Any relationship. Of, yeah, that there's a, the Zim, the, we just happen to attach it to marriage, but that there is a Zimzum dimension to all relations. Are you mm-hmm. hinting that you and Chris are going to have a whole series? No. <laughs> I'm going to start that rumor. Kristen and Rob, a new series. The Zimzum no. of... Of I'll let someone else do that. But I thought it was a beautiful image to explain what what like koinonia is. Yeah. Is, is is the is the making room for other mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. creating that space, and then tending to the whole metaphor of then you tend to 
that shared space. Space. Um, Milo was beautiful. And and that's a big part of unclean because the uh, boundary psychology. Right, crossing boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you connected that obviously with the table, right? Eucharist in the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the Eucharist would enact that, you know, making room at that shared table. Uh, Oh, fantastic. Obviously, the the tradition that uh, Rich and I both come from is Churches of Christ, which is a group that does communion every Sunday. Yeah. And so we've always had this uh, kind of just bred into us this appreciation for the sacraments. Baptism is a big deal to us. Communion. And your work has kind of gone in a direction, I don't know if it's always been this way, but um, the aforementioned two-day event that I went to a couple years ago, minus the dolphins, ended with... Bread and wine. Am I allowed to... I kind of just spoiled it for everyone if they've never been to one. But that's a big part of... Absolutely. Like the stuff that you're doing. It's the center. Where did that come from? Has it... It came from me realizing that... I, I was preaching year after year, sermon after sermon, and people said, well, what do we really believe? What do you believe? And then I'd do another series of sermons. Well, what, and, I, and I, over the years, was like, oh, this Protestant tradition, still protesting after 500 <laughs> years, it locate its nexus, its, its focal point is ultimately in the mind and how your mental furniture are arranged. So... Everything that I say, I believe Jesus saves. Do you mean at death or do you mean this life? Okay, I believe Jesus saves us now and then. Okay, do you mean salvation at, like every single thing you say, it splits it and then you can find, and the tradition's roots are, you have your 11 things, they have their 13 statements, I'm kind of uneasy Um, then there's always somebody who comes along and says there's only four of them, and they do this, the, the... the sort of simplistic, they play the simple card. We're just about a couple things. We just love God and love others. And it goes, oh, it's so simple. But then they have to split because someone says, what do you mean by love God at some point? So then they go down the street and start second whatever mm-hmm. church of the simplicity way. Um, and what it, it, it never stops splitting because when you stay in the mind and the center is the statements and the way your mental furniture is arranged, you can never stop splitting it and finding ways that you disagree. Hmm. And what I discovered is that no matter how much I talked, here's what I mean. You had people going, yeah, but do you mean this or that? It never ended. Just never, hmm. ever, ever ended. I do 10 weeks on a topic. Yeah, but what, like, what, what do you, so where do we stand on that? What do we believe about that? What do we believe as a church? What, what do you, theologically, what are you saying? And finally, it struck me because I was having lunch in Texas yes with Praise this <laughs> uh, professor from a Catholic seminary and she said what's interesting at my seminary she said the priests we all each morning have mass and we have the bread and wine together and then the rest of the day we argue about everything under the sun <laughs> but we began the day with what unites us at a flesh and blood real level mm-hmm. and she says what strikes me about protestants is you don't begin the day with a centered experience of the divine in your midst. Hmm. And then you, therefore, you aren't as free to disagree. Because when you disagree, then you split. Hmm. So we have this thing. And that's when we started serving, I started, I'll serve Eucharist whenever I can, because it creates a whole different center. Mm-hmm. The center then becomes a table. And the table moves it from, from the mind to flesh and blood. 
And so the question then becomes, can you join us at the table? Which is a totally different question than can you agree to our nine things? Can you agree to our 12 things? Um, mm-hmm. It moves it. And that's the number one thing to every single one. If you were to start a church all over again, would you? I would just say every week, we have a table. We're inviting the whole world to the table. We believe it's the body broken and the blood poured out. Can you do that? Because that's why so many people have left mm-hmm. and, are, and your students and people are mm-hmm. disillusioned as they were literally taught this thing <clears throat> that isn't doable. I went all the way into the heart of the beast and it's not doable. And I'm here to tell you it's not sustainable and it's not doable and it leaves everybody a wreck. That's what I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I had to add that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. How many people do you know who they're still trying to get it? Ni- but we're kind of suspicious about the pastor because it's a little bit questionable. Oh, because he took one of the one things away from the list of right. 13 and added it. It never, ever ends, and it makes everybody completely mentally insane. Okay, there's no way I'm going to let you off from that last sentence. You went to the heart of the beast, and it's impossible to do it. Explain. What do you mean by that? If you're still in the region of the mind protesting... Mm-hmm. You'll never, it creates a vicious system in which you're left boycotting people. You're left suspicious of everybody and their brother. You have to make public statements about this book. You have to put a sticker. They put a sticker on my book, some book Print, chain. Parental advisory. Read with discernment. Um, you're, you, you have to blackball mm-hmm. people. You have to fire people. It never, ever, ever ends because it can't be done because you are dancing on the head of a pin and someone's going to fall off and you think that's built upon the the whole and this is why the whole conservative evangelical thing is a house of cards and it's completely collapsing before our very eyes and everybody who's listening now thinking no it's stronger than ever no it's moments from completely falling into a thousand pieces and being over because because it builds its whole thing on a house of you need to believe these things and then everybody weighs mm-hmm. in on what those things mean, and it splits hairs, and it splits hairs, and it splits hairs, and it can't be done. It cannot be done. You move it to the table, everything changes. So you think Amen. the Eucharist is the, the saving grace for the church? I think that's what Jesus said, and I think he was mm-hmm. right. And I it agree. moves it. And I think there's a Greek element of knowledge mm-hmm. that, it, that many people are still beholden to, which is, I don't know, what do they believe? Well, they feed the poor, and they rescue marriages, and they help addicts. That's what they believe. Mm. And mm. that actually central to a Hebraic understanding of the scriptures is when Jesus is asked, he doesn't say anything about believe. He says love. And I think you have a whole world that just went way over into this um, protesting, splitting. What exactly do you mean by that? Suspicion. Someone so came, and they said some stuff about Nahum 4. I don't know about you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, and it, now what's happened is it's deep in the, it's almost in the like the cells, the physiology of the thing. Everybody's suspicious of everybody. Mm-hmm. And having been on the receiving end of it, I felt it at a, yeah. it is a particular kind of terror-filled energy, which is totally different than we're setting a table for the whole world, baby, bread and wine. You want to mm-hmm. join us? Yeah. And these events over the past four years where I get to serve Eucharist to people, I've watched people well i have no idea their background but a lot of them never been to a church service never been any and they take eucharist and stuff happens i could tell story mm-hmm. after story of watching. oh no it's amazing I, I love sarah miles's story and take this you know sarah miles Good story to take Lord, this just that, an amazing well, we story yeah yeah but that's her story you know atheist and also and, and there's also this communion funny thing. and it's changed and there's also this awesome thing well what if people take you know, what if people come to the table who um, 
like this idea that the table of people, if certain people come and you haven't done the full body scan, you know what I mean? Like that you haven't done proper TSA work on them. Yeah. Then, you know, I always like such, you know, the whole thing is upside down when people are filled with terror that somebody might come to the table <laughs> who hasn't been through the proper TSA theological scanning. Hmm. You know, wh- I'm concerned that this person would have a flesh and blood encounter with the grace of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No. Like that if there's a God somewhere watching this whole thing, that God would be like, we can't have that. No, I can't come mm-hmm. here. Like you just think about how the fear is that deep that we may not have, you know, done the proper scrutiny with this person when the entire Jesus story and the table fellowship mm-hmm. in the first century was all the people who you say can't come to the table. I'm having dinner with them. Watch me. It's performance art. It's guerrilla theater. Like, mm. The table mm-hmm. is the way that he demonstrates what he's doing. Wow. Um, I mean, the first table. No, I, 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 I agree. Think I about agree. the first century table. The first century table was a political statement. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because you had a, a, an industrial military religious complex that had very serious um, needs that were all sort of in bed together. And who you dined with was a statement of who's clean and who's unclean. Because that's straight out of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. So when you, you're not just having dinner with a sinner, you are having dinner with somebody who is part of the reason why we're being oppressed by the Romans. So you had a very large contingent that said, the reason why this global military superpower number 17 has crushed us is because of you sinners. And if we were holy and we were pure, then this wouldn't be happening and God would let our light shine like Isaiah said. Yeah. And so these sinners are the reason for our financial stress, for our military occupancy, for the degradation of our temple by these pagans. Um, so when you have, I mean, this was, we think like civil rights or, or gay rights are, are sort of volatile issues, but we don't have a, the giant industrial machine of its day with its boot on our neck. So when Jesus is having a table fellowship with people who are the reason for this, that's a, that's like burning a flag. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like nine, you know, think of the most volatile gestures you can do all at once or Peter with Cornelius when he does it like you said at the very beginning of this exact exact same situation right there were the implications run so deep and yet the stories that were told like when you read if you've never read the gospels you read them you're like this guy has dinner a lot (laughs) yes very hungry because that's Mm -hmm. it's like if we you and I went around to small American towns and set flags on fire in the middle of the um, town square we would be saying something. Um, I think Jesus is doing something very intentional, very provocative, and very redeeming, and it centers around a table. Okay, two things. One, <laughs> why did you write the book about being present when you have like this book about the table? When is that book coming out? Because that's clearly... Oh, goodness, there's like six books in my head. Well, I don't know. bump it to the top. I'll, I'll make a list for you, okay? First of all... So, okay, let's read... That's just a... But I agree. I mean, I agree. I mean, that is... That was... Yeah. Some of the best ten minutes I've ever had. I mean, I, I mean, I think, that, and that's the point where unclean comes down at the very end. That the practice of the table just reshapes our theology from the ground up, and I think it's that the church has a future. The practice of Absolutely. open communion is that's it, and hospitality, uh, yeah. and yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what the tattoo in your arm says. <laughs> that's right. It does, doesn't it? Okay, yeah, and a part oh. part of it, part of the one of the really interesting what you said just sparked. One of the really interesting questions to ask is, what are you protecting? What is this? Fe- the, what is the fear exactly? 
Like there's a table. God is throwing a party. Everybody's invited. We gather on a regular basis. We get some bread and wine. We remind ourselves that that's the whole thing that's happening here. Everybody's invited. Mm-hmm. What do you need to bring to the table? What do you need from the resurrected Christ today? Um, what is this? What is the thing exactly that you're, the, the fear, the, the thing that has to be protected? Because when you're throwing a, it's a completely different impulse to throw a party at a table. To have a table and yeah. um, it's a completely different, it is an active zimzum impulse in the world. As opposed to we're the last people who have this thing that we need to guard at all costs. Well, no wonder everybody's bored. And it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. I, for those of us like myself who are pastors and like it's our job to do church. Like, and we want to create environments where people connect with the body of Christ. I was broken for them, the blood of Christ. I was shed for them. What, like if you're reimagining what church can be, if it's not this, let me line up your beliefs and let, let's get you on board with these 12 points that all start with a P instead. It's the table. Like, how do you imagine that? Yeah. Like the, here's an example. Next time you serve Eucharist Sunday, baby say to everybody <laughs> every Sunday, here's the thing today. When we do Eucharist, I want you to take Eucharist with somebody that you don't know. Sitting behind you, sitting around you, sitting next to you. If you don't want to, that's fine. If somebody's sitting next to you, just say, I'll pass on this one. Otherwise, just get their name and just take Eucharist with somebody that you don't know. Why is that so formative? You will not believe what happens. At the end of the service, when people are Mm -hmm. filing out, you will be shocked at how many people don't immediately file out. Because they ate together. Because at the heart of the Eucharist is universal human solidarity. There is a body. There is a body. I love yeah. Deschardins. Um, I'm doing some work on particles make atoms, atoms make molecules, molecules make cells, cells make systems, systems make people. So each in each layer of unfolding evolution um, bonds together to make something with more complexity, right, yeah. less breadth, greater depth mm-hmm. than that which came before it. Um, so there's this really interesting question. Each layer then has at least the attributes of the previous unfolding layer. So an atom contains particles and contains at least all the qualities of a particle. A cell contains at least all of the qualities of a molecule. So people then, who are made of cells, which are made of molecules, which are made of atoms, made of particles, what do we all together make? And the thing that we all make as human beings together will have at least in its massed collective the properties of the earlier level, which is personhood. So, I need to pick correct. up my brain. Yeah, no, right. so think about that. Are you so smart enough to follow that? I don't think I am. So, here's what's really I'm interesting. I think I'm tracking. I'm, Why I'm, I'm do with the him first here. Christians keep talking about our sufferings making Christ complete? And they oh, keep I see what you're... Okay, I know where he's going. They keep talking about a, a Christ body <laughs> mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. all comprise. And they talk about it in these strange phrases that, that make preachers all tied up and up about how it is somehow not complete. You know what I mean? There's right. this whole, we, we then make Christ complete in our, what is the thing? Because all the, all the atoms form molecules, and molecules at least have the property of atoms. So each thing within creation, as you go 13.8 billion unfolding years, each thing, there are properties present at that next layer that are not present at the component layer, the pre- layer earlier from yeah, it. Yeah. So if all cells form, cells form and actually make humans, then what do humans together what is the thing that humans together make you could say a population yeah but it will have at least the properties of the layer well, before well, okay it. Well, what is it 
You give out. So I'm guessing the body of Christ. Well, what's interesting mm-hmm. is that you have writers very coherently and intentionally writing about something that is present at a. It's called holism, but at a collective level among humanity. And they're not necessarily talking about Christians. They're talking about the uh, the church for them is always some sort of the first sort of shape of something that involves all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Small, so, smaller collections or tentative gatherings that yes, might point to... Point to something to be later fulfilled, consummated. The kingdom of God. This or, is, yeah, by the yeah. way, I'm doing mm-hmm. this thing called Everything is Spiritual 2 this summer. I, I've heard um, about that. Some of this is I'm, I'm working on, but I think that... You just have this really interesting idea mm-hmm. when you come to the communion table, when you come to Eucharist, and we all gather around the table. The idea is we are, when you're, you're having Eucharist people you haven't met before, there is something that the two of you form together, some larger whole of which the two of you are a part of. Which is why people always say these things like after 9-11 in New York, oh my word, everybody was smiling to each other. Mm-hmm. You don't create community. All of this, like, we have small groups, we're going to create community. No, you're not. Community is revealed. We already have it. Community already exists. We're just blind to that, which is already present in our midst. So I love all the, like, community-building exercises. Community-revealing exercises. You know what I mean? You're a featherless biped. You're a unique species. We're already already a community. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're already in this. We're already in this together. Yeah. Um, But I think that's the power of this table, so, like, when you bring people together, what you just keep reminding them is we're, like, all in this together. We're bonded. We have each other. And when just slight little gesture like that, it's unbelievable how many people go, mm-hmm. wow. Because for many people, the Eucharist was simply me being reminded that God forgives my sins, which is very powerful. But, but it, it was first and foremost, in first century at least, this was... About uh, about the thing that we form together, mm-hmm. the thing present when we are all together. Yeah. Oh, seriously. We, anyway, come on now. We, <laughs> at, at our church, we we have tables set up around, and oh, so we, we, we do sacrament, and so it's like ever dismissed. And then then you hear like this chorus of people saying their own like version of you know the body of Christ broken oh, for you, the blood of Christ it. shed for you, love and it. You, you're old and young and male and female and all these voices, and it, it's like this beautiful cacophony of sound. And I'm trying to explain this to some people, like. From our tradition, we typically sit in rows and they pass you, which is a you know great thing in itself. But I've I've tried to verbalize why I think actually going to the tables and staying in a circle with people is so much more powerful. And I've I've been short on word. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I want. Yes. Well, think about it. Three hundred years ago, you had the Enlightenment. All of a sudden, people realized that volcanoes do not explode because Zeus is angry. They yeah. realized, oh, wait, there are these components. There are plate tectonics. There's lava. That's why. So mm-hmm. you had this extraordinary scientific revolution that got really good at taking things down to it, their parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because we could take things down to their parts, we started making levers and pulleys and machines. You had industrial revolution. You lent cars. Now we have 10,000 songs in our pockets. Mm-hmm. So for 300 years, we've been swimming in a particular sea that made hospitals and it made airports and it made all these conveniences and it made it by breaking things down to their smallest pieces. Mm -hmm. It is like that's how the brain's been working. But the problem is that is a skill that if it's not, you do not in tandem have seen things in their holes, seen things W H O L E S. Mm -hmm. What happens now is you have a giant muscle that hasn't been used, which is seeing things in their holes. So then you walk into a church in the 20th century and for some people they the only communion they know is a tiny little plastic cup 
which is the ultimate America, me for you have a sermon about me first individualism, and then it'll be an independent fundamentalist church. And then you'll take your Eucharist in a little in tiny own little singular cup. plastic cup. So the, the method reflects a value system that the Bible speaks directly against, which is why you intuitively understood. I need to get people out of their seats around a common table because it, it, it moves against the forces that just want to make mm-hmm. people individual, autonomous human beings. You intuitively... I knew, I, yeah, that's what I was trying to say the whole time. I just, I, I was just letting you say it for me. I knew that the whole time. But you probably, you knew it intuitively, and you probably, well, what you were saying is I didn't know why, I just knew that my people right. needed to get up out of their seats and do this, because the other method, actually then, you would be reinforcing a value that you're against. Hmm. which is you and God being forgiven mm-hmm. and you're not probably, hospitality, yeah. solidarity. Right. You're, you're enacting some theology, you know, yes. and, 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 and so you need to have that relational component to it. Here's my favorite example of Eucharist surprising. When I don't know if you know who Soul Force is, but they were a group of LGBTQ activists that were going to ride a bus to the South, and they were going to knock on the doors of various universities, that, that, that uh, conservative Christian schools, and my school was on the list. And um, every school that they had been... Visited up until our school, um, they were like met by police at the gates. Oh. Okay, and so um, at ACU, they came to the University Church of Christ and on, on they gave them a meal, fed them a meal, and then that evening, and I think this was a, just a tradition that had been going on a long time, is they always had Eucharist on Saturday nights, or, or so this may be on Sunday. Sunday night. Night. It was on yeah. Sunday night, yeah. and they arrived on Sunday, had a meal, and so their the potluck meal that they gave gave the the, the activists uh, happened, but then right after that was the communion service on Sunday night, and they all said, "Well, you know, we're having communion," and and then all these conservative Christian kids and these activists shared Eucharist, and and there was an amazing experience the next day. And they, the activists, left and said we had never been received. We, we were completely surprised by that, and, and I am convinced to this day that that how well that next day went, how hospitable our university was, was directly the result of that, that we, they had accidentally stumbled into Eucharist together. Wow. And that they had not done that, 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 that would have not put them on a trajectory of kind of recognizing the, 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 the shared humanity on both sides because they, they were primed to see each other as enemies. And it, fortuitously, they found themselves breaking bread together. And I think they were surprised by what had been discovered when they welcomed each other to table. And I think it goes to everything you're saying. You're not going to discover that if if, there, if that is not enacted. You're, you can't discover those relational dynamics that you share with people. Do you think there's the the psychological effect of seeing people eat? There's some disgust stuff that, that's obviously going on, uh, like seeing people eat food. I, I think you've connected it to like seeing our own humanity when we eat. That there's something about like uh, I think this is from slavery of death. You picking up what I'm putting down here? I, I think so. <laughs> you, you're looking at me kind of weird, like you're making this stuff up. By but, now, no, I do remember that. By now, no, no, I do. I do think there's some even disgust. if we didn't know what you were yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about, yeah, we yeah, would yeah. pretend like we didn't. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I speak for both of us on that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's I, I, yes, I wrote okay. that at some point. Uh, okay, then I'm just gonna make this up if you're not gonna claim it. But like part of eating, it shows your our humanity because if we oh, don't yeah, eat, oh yeah, 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 shows our neediness, dependence. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Okay, yes. Yes. So there's something about like our shared humanity. And, and, and we often feel disgusted by displays of our, our neediness, mm-hmm. neediness. But but by Eucharist, yes, you overcome 
you well, you're welcomed into. Oh. My, my favorite example of this is Arthur McGill talks about, theologian talks about that we, we become a community of neediness. Hmm. And it's our shared humanity, our shared neediness. Because um, I think what happens... That's great. What happens in the... I think in, in American culture, the reason why we become... It's not just we're individuals. We're self-sufficient interval in, individuals without any needs. I don't hmm. really need you. And any, any display of vulnerability or shame is... That's the great failure. So if I come to church and I actually have a need... Like that's 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 a moral failing on my part. Hmm. Um, we've moralized need, which means it's immoral to be a human being in our churches to actually be a human who needs oh, help or aid. So and so, and I think communion enacts that. It shows by the common meal. It shows that we feed each other and we mm-hmm. enter into an economy the, of love. The uh, and I hope this isn't like sharing too personal of a story from uh, one of our friends at church, but I've got a. Um, one of my elders' husbands, uh, when he was my age, uh, was diagnosed with MS, and he's this you know early thirties doctor. He's got two kids, and he's MS. He knows what's going on, and so now he's uh, he's got his his little boys are now both both in med school, and uh, he, he's very limited in what he can do at all. And so when we go to the table, someone uh, you know guides his his chair over there, and then someone picks up the cup and puts it in his mouth, and someone takes the bread and puts it in his mouth. And oh. every Sunday I see that, and I'm reminded mm. this is the story that we're a part of, because that's all of us. Mm. We all have mm-hmm. that shared humanity, and we're all in desperate need. And I get choked up even just saying it. You can mm-hmm. hear right now mm. my voice. Um, yeah, I don't. there's nothing I can mm. ever say to equal that. Yeah. So good. Hmm. Is there a way to transition out of that to something next? That's fantastic. Yeah. I've got questions. We've got to ask, uh, what's going on with Rob? You've got a tour coming out this summer, Everything Spiritual, part yes. two. Are you going to write it T-W-O or Everything's no, Too Spiritual? I'll just have it Everything is Spiritual 2015. I like that. You but can... if you're familiar with the first one, this is um, new whiteboard, all new ideas, new content. And you... I'm so excited about Are you going to come seriously. to Texas? Yeah, I think we're doing Houston, no. Dallas, yes. and Austin. Uh, I think I'm doing the Paramount in Austin. Outstanding. Do you know when that is? Uh, end of, well, it'll probably be or July, Ooh, let's say mid-July hot. maybe. Yeah, we tried to we tried to do <laughs> the worst time to be in Texas. Phoenix. Uh, well, the routing goes San, San Diego, Phoenix, and then I think we do Oklahoma City, uh, Tulsa. Then it's like all through Texas, New mm-hmm. Orleans, down to Miami Beach. Like through the mid July, oh. trying to pick the best time of the year. Are you going to do your Texas joke about "Hey, I'm in a foreign country" when you get to Texas? No. Okay. Because you just brought it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping officially to retiring. That. Oh, well, I was just wanted to say Texas is the best place in the world, and I feel like if you know, you I didn't used to get Texas <laughs> until I was there. I don't know when I was there a couple years ago, and I think we were doing driving like Waco to Dallas to Austin or something, and I felt like I got it. Just mm-hmm. it was like one of those moments when you uh-huh. when everything's close, like this that city's over here, that city's mm-hmm. over here, this university's here, it. and I was driving in between one of those, and I was just realizing if you grew up here and you had a friend there and you had some buds over here and there was a game here and a show there mm-hmm. and good barbecue there, I get it. Good barbecue, yeah. Like a, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I a place, that. yeah. Some, like you mm-hmm. have like a oh big wide sky, mm-hmm. your different friends that you have got it. Down this road, spaces. there are some friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah that to make the big mistake. That's a good theory. I yeah. like it. Just like this Dixie Chicks told us. Um, so you're doing that this summer. Yes. You're doing something with uh, Pete Holmes right now? Two-man show? Pete Holmes and I have a two-man show called Together at Last. We did uh, Tucson a couple nights ago. Did you write that T-W-O, Together? 
No. I feel like there's a lot of jokes you could do with the two um, that you're just leaving them for. You know what? There's enough jokes already. <laughs> <laughs> I think taking comedic advice from Luke would be a really it's bad so career wow. move. <laughs> <laughs> That's really hurtful. That's really hurtful. So this week is uh, Tampa and Orlando. It's been, it's been, it's been a blast. Mm-hmm. And then we do Boston in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and that this leg will be done. I've got notes here. I'm finally pulling my notes out. Um, two day events. This is me. I really have notes. Yeah, I'm doing a uh, in June. We're doing a doing a thing here with like a, a oh whole a big event. one. I'm so excited. You've yeah. got uh, Kristen's going to be there. Yeah, Kristen's going to talk, and Vicky Beeching's coming. I don't know who that is. Who? She's a British uh, on BBC. She's a political commentator. I'm Texan. I don't know um, BBC. She's fantastic. And then uh, Carlton Cuse, a um, friend of mine who's made a lot of great TV shows. Yes. And Pete Rollins. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Pete, Pete Rollins. Pete Holmes. I think Pete Holmes and I are going to do our, our together last thing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. And I, I really wanted to do an event for all the people who... Like if I'm traveling and they say, where do I talk about this stuff in my town? All the people who stumbled in to some new and better and they're more alive than ever some new understandings and yet the people around them um aren't seeing the same things they are and Mm. so i want to talk about courage and loneliness the event's called keep going i want to get all those people in a room who just need to find out you're not crazy and if you are crazy you have company Mm. Um, that's important and i think there's a lot going on with that so peter rollins gonna talk about disruption Kristen's going to talk about the things she has learned about how to stay motivated and positive and full of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm really, I'm really, really excited. That's in mid-June. Good. Now, you, you've got the podcast. Yes, the Robcast. The Robcast, which off mic, you told me something about how you got inspired to do that. Bye. <clears throat> I um, have <clears throat> a friend mm-hmm. named... <clears throat> Pablo. No. No. <laughs> no, I want to tell you, I was when when Kristen and I did the Zimzum podcast with you and I just saw um just the way you you were so natural and oh, the conversation it. and I was like cuz some friends had had said like you need to do you need to do one of these but just watching you and uh I was like I got to try that and it's been a blast. So thank yeah. you. It's been really really rewarding. Now, your podcast is called The Robcast. Mm-hmm. My podcast is Newsworthy with Norsworthy. My high school football coach used to say that to me. He said, Norsworthy, you keep working hard, and one day you'll be newsworthy. That's what he'd say to me. So, <laughs> you, But you're, Richard, your blog. I just have a blog. It's that's called, all, all it, I want to do. It's called experimentaltheology.blogs. Do you feel like you need to step up your pun game? My, my what? Your pun game. Robcast, podcast, Newsworthy, Norsworthy. Experiment, it's like... There's no name in there. I feel like we could. Ah, uh, well, we'll work on it. Okay, we'll work on that. It is a great. It is a great. Okay. Great, great bectations. <laughs> yes, I beck your pardon. Huh? Huh? Okay. If I ever get on Twitter, that'll be my hashtag. <laughs> I beck your pardon. Uh, okay, I, do, I have a question about you. The... <laughs> That's seriously so cumbersome. Yeah. That's really awkward. As the newsworthy with noise really just rolls off your tongue. Okay, your your uh, your Robcast. It's great. It's doing really oh, good. I, I like it. I listened to it yesterday while I was mowing. I was mowing and I listened to the Robcast. It was about this very long word. And I took seven semesters of Greek and I still don't remember which the word is that you used. But you started off and said, this is a sermon. Yeah. You did. Yes. And I was like, you, you've done how many? A dozen? 15? 18? Yeah. You've done some. Mm-hmm. You never said, like, this is a sermon before. But yeah. I get the impression you're Robcasting in your home. You just at your computer 
with your USB microphone, and it is just kind of like a sermon. And so yeah. I, I'm like, you never had called it a sermon before. Was that <laughs> yeah. just like, hey, I'm just accidentally called it a sermon, or is there a reason for that? Everything's always everything's a sermon, isn't it? Um, but it's just one of those little things that just tilts the. Framing yeah. language, just a little thing that tilts it just slightly. But it was like book, chapter, verse. We're going to you know, read yeah, this yeah. verse. And it, yeah, was, yeah. It, it's, it felt very sermonic. Good. I was just wondering why. Like, the, the others haven't felt the same way. I didn't say it. <laughs> but think about the structure and order of the other ones. The same thing. Okay, I don't have those memorized. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> you can just place one sentence up front and it tilts the whole thing. I agree. Yeah, there's this great... Space and Light painter from the 60s and 70s named Robert Irwin. And there's a series of interviews with him um, called Seen is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. And some people think it's the best book ever on Can you say that title again? Seen is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. 30 years of interviews with Robert Irwin. And he was essentially this artist who just kept breaking new ground. And there was a whole period he went through where he would paint a canvas white put it on the wall and then he would paint one line across the middle of the painting one thin line then he would stare at it for 13 to 14 hours a day go to bed wake up stare at it then he might repaint the line on a different place and what he did is art like if you hear a song and it moves you there there is the lyrics there is the melody there is the guitar part there's the drum the keyboard whatever it is the orchestra and it created an experience in you it had a you had a sensory experience of it so how much of the song can you remove and still create an experience within you like what does Mm -hmm. it take to trigger that experience so what he was asking was how much stimulus can you remove and still create an experience and so he was working with um, he would do white canvases, and then he would, from behind the canvas, push the canvas out just a little bit so that it came. the middle of the canvas just came towards you a little bit. And he would experiment with a, a millimeter in, a millimeter back out, and he would do this. There was one stretch, I think, where he went like a year or two with one painting every day for 14 hours, just seeing. And like with the one line, if you lower it two millimeters, he would observe that it would change the whole geometry of the room. Because you're removing all distractions, so that one tiny mm-hmm. line then becomes like you know what I mean. Yeah. That, then so he was essentially taking art down to how how little of a stimulant can trigger a sensory experience in you, which is really larger questions about how humans beings perceive reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you'll find about his work is he's talking about a canvas, and you're suddenly you're down this road or this road because he was actually doing all this other work just below the surface, which is why he's so groundbreaking. But what's fascinating to me is like the moving of a line just a bit, and it shifts the whole room around one sentence. Now I'm going to do a sermon. And it's structured the exact same way as the previous 15, other than the ones that were interviews. It's structured the same as those, but you heard it completely differently based on that one Hmm. thing. So you as a preacher, you Mm -hmm. when you gather on Sunday, what are framing sentences and phrases and ideas and stories and parables and language and images and metaphors. What are, what are ways you can just tilt one thing and people who've been listening to you week after week, year after year, Hmm. suddenly you've given them maybe another door to come in. You know what I mean? Ah, That's interesting. That's fascinating. 
Yeah, so think about the things that you're doing. Think about you're going to do the parable of the prodigal son. You're going to do it. You've already done it three times. Mm-hmm. You do the whole sermon from the perspective uh, of a villager. So you've just, so you think through your notes and your outline, all the points you were going to make. And then you walk up on stage and say, I got to tell you about this family in my town. They're jacked up. And you, <laughs> this family's seriously jacked up. And I know your family's fine, but this family's jacked up. Tell you what the younger son said to the father. And you do the sermon, the exact content you were going to do, you just do it. Maybe you have a fence. Maybe you have your lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Maybe you literally do it like you're the neighbor. And what new understandings would it open just that one slight tilt? So do you think through that? Like, did you... I would love for you to say, yeah, I thought through that one sentence because I figured there's some random dude mowing his yard yeah. in Texas. Yeah. I thought, I bet this would have an extra layer of power. And the word sermon brings yeah. power. I, I don't know. I bet it would have a, I bet it would do something. People are like, oh, mm-hmm. whoa, we're about to hear a sermon here. I wonder if it would tap into a sense this is serious. Huh. I don't know. That's just a question. No, I mean, it made you sit up and take notice. But what's fascinating to yeah, me, yeah. what does I remember? <laughs> what's, that's how it works. You yeah. uh, try stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, try, you try stuff. Uh, I was just reading yesterday, Tommy, uh, Tony Iommi, the guitar player for Black Sabbath. They're all Black Sabbath. This is 1969, 1970. They're sitting around rehearsing, writing songs, and he plays the opening riff to the song Black Sabbath. And he says, and nobody was doing drop D, nobody was doing heavy metal then. And he says, they all were like, what the, what is that? He's like, we had no idea what it is, but we all were like, this is great. I don't know what it is, but man, this is great. Imagine inventing heavy metal. Imagine the first time, imagine the first time you played the heaviest thing that ever been played. And he has this great line where he just says, we loved it. Our, our skin was tingling and we had no idea what it was. And the others were looking at me, and I was like, I don't know. Because he's playing, like, the first heavy metal. Or, you know wow. what I mean? What are the yeah, early- yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just this sense that you just try things. So that was just, I just keep trying things. It's the only way it works. Which means Now, you- what's interesting, then, is you, you say that, and I think, oh, it's interesting. I had that sense, and then you, now I've just learned a bunch from you about that. It's like we can complete each other's <laughs> sandwiches. <laughs> sandwiches. Huh. <laughs> So, but you have to be okay to fail when you're when you're doing that, right? Because if you're going to experiment, try things differently. I don't believe in failure. You don't like don't believe it happens. I don't believe in failure. That's just a whole category. I don't believe in it. You just how do you get because rid of failure? The best stories. Like if I ask Richard, tell me how you got in this, and you're like, "Well, I was pretty sweet." Then I kicked some more ass. Then from there, it was just all up into the right. Then there was some dominance. Mm. I had some uh, serious game. Everybody knew it. I took it to the next level. We're bored out of our minds. Exactly. We yeah. love he a story says about I got camping in the face. It went camping and the tent collapsed and the Slept. food spoiled and all that. Slept That's in the what car we actually nice love. So you'd be like, wow, mm-hmm. you really failed at camping. Well, then why is the story so great? So I understand like if you fail to pay your taxes, you will have a problem. So it's probably at some layer, at some level, failure is fine. But in terms of you doing your work in the world... I just don't, but I just, it's not something that crosses my mind. Is that like... You could make it cruciform, too. I mean, if God's ultimate incarnation is ostensibly a failure. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean... The whole thing, we all might get killed. So I just, I just had enough things happen to me that where it all did fall apart and people didn't like me and people 
So it just all already fell apart. So and we're here and we're having a, more fun than ever. So I just don't buy any of that. And so when people are like, but that might, but, but you might, yeah. Like this tour this summer, tour bus, the amount of logistics that go into doing 30 American cities in like 32 days or something. And my family goes and staging and all that. Like nobody could come. Nobody could come. Wow. And you're, you're okay with that? I'd rather, I just decided I was not going to live my life wondering what if. Hmm. You said that like it already all mm-hmm. fell apart, and so after that you were able to gain this insight. Is that what what's required to well, get there? I just, I'll probably by my early thirties, I would go to speak somewhere, and there'd be protesters out front, people with signs, boycotts. So I just right away, not being respected, not being understood, being hated, being um, it just got like, oh, there's got to be some other way to live this because. You cannot control how people will respond to you or your work in the world. I have this. So it just all. Yeah. So it just became about something else. I have the sense that to to be a pastor, like there's a plethora of motivations. Obviously, for all of us, we're all mixed bag. You, you talk about that a lot, I think. But one of the motivating factors for being like a young preacher is whenever you get up, everyone's like, "Oh, you're a young preacher. That is so cute. We love young preachers." And you start to get addicted to the compliments, and you start to let that be a motivating factor for you. And then when that turns on you, yes. which obviously the way things you're no that, longer a puppy. Yeah, puppies are cute. Everyone hates, mm-hmm. everyone loves a baby preacher, but they don't like a grown-up one. And you've experienced that to degrees that, like, I don't know of anyone else who I'd compare that to. Is that, like, you have to, you go through that and you realize this whole system or this motivating factor or partially motivating factor is just cancer? It's the difference between craft and success. Craft. Success is all accolades. Success is money. Success is getting to the next level. Success mm-hmm. is the thing that you're going to arrive at. Craft is the art it's the trade it's the thing that you're doing you're helping students you're doing re- you're you're working a craft here the other morning i go surfing 6:45 sunrise and there's two city workers on the steps about three steps up from where we are and the one of them's probably in his 50s the one of them's in his 20s and they're taking they're taking the trash bins um off the beach and the one is showing the other how it's done properly the mm-hmm. older one like there's a way things are done. There's a craft, mm-hmm. whatever it is. There's an art to it, and craft is fundamentally humbling, because you you're the book I just turned in, man, it just broke me again. Because you're 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 working a long trade. You come from a long line of people to that. Mom, somebody runs a gas station. You're do you have mm-hmm. a craft in the world. Success says, what more can I get? Craft says, can you believe I get to do this? Yeah. Mm. So, um, you are working a craft. You are shepherding people. You are communicating to them. You are guiding them. That's a craft. And you'll never get to the end of it. You'll always be learning. You'll always be growing. Mm. And if you, if, you le- if you move from success to craft, then your joy will only get better and better and better and better. There's great stories about Tim Duncan in the huddle during a Spurs game saying to their guys, can you believe we get paid to do this? <laughs> yeah. So, uh... It's joy. I think that's the only route yes, to real exactly. joy. You and mean? I can, I, when I meet somebody, I can tell in 10 seconds whether they're on the success or the craft mm-hmm. track. What I think you can do things to succeed, and you get this kind of serotonin buzz. You get reinforced for Absolutely. it, and you want to do it more, and you can become like an addict. Absolutely. And, you know, but joy is the uh, – and I think to come back to the very beginning when you talk about presence, because – 
if you're present, then you're not failure is living, you know, living in the past, worrying about the future. Yeah. You're, you're never, you're never in the moment. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not the artist that the way Rob would be an artist, but, but I think psychologically, um, uh, cheek set me high, his stuff on flow and peak experiences. Mm. I don't know if you know, his, his book on flow is what's the name. Um, his, his, I can't spell it, but she set me high. Mikhail, she set me high, has written a book called Flow, but it's about yeah, yeah. these experiences. And, and you know, you're in a flow state when, like, you're going to craft, when your competencies are matching the obstacles. You know, you feel like you're being challenged, you're being pushed, and you experience, uh, time dilation. You start not noticing the passage of time. Yes. Um, absolutely. So those flow states. Wait, what's the name again? Flow is the name of the book. Oh, it's okay. an old it's an old book <clears throat> and he he just had people track their happiness across oh, the yeah. day and 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 notice that when people had found these activities crafts or immersive activities where they were being artistic or creative or challenging or learning something um they were they were and that's most what's happening fulfilled. to you yeah. it often happens around your age my age yeah you start to realize that the fuel that you've been running on it's important when you start out. It's important that people notice it and they affirm you. It's yeah. very meaningful. But you'll notice a shift. And if you don't make it, it's, but you're, you're, you're realizing that there's something about this that, that is not sustainable. Hmm. And as you shift into craft, you'll start to get really fun. Huh. Roar talks about first half of life. Everyone needs yes. that. Uh, yes. Or what is the thing to, to move the world? He has this great yes. uh, quote. Like at first, like you want to do that to to move the world and have your part in it, and then the second half is yes. Learning. And you've had great success, so it will speed up the process. You will see the emptiness of it mm. sooner. And some of your peers may not understand what you're talking about, but people loving what you do and success speeds the thing up developmentally. Oh wait, the thing I was working so hard to achieve, I did, and I'm kind of realizing it's a bit emptier but then you will rediscover but i get to do this how awesome is that and then you have like this renewed passion just renewed and it it, yeah and it's unbelievable so there okay so obviously i'm at the stage when this is supposed to be happening is there what am i supposed to be looking for what am i supposed to be having my ears open to to be aware of you get to preach this sunday i'm actually taking the sunday off but next sunday you get to do this I get to do this. Make uh, that a mantra. Uh, I get to give these people this gift. That's all there is right here. Mm-hmm. I get to give people this gift. I'd say join gratitude. Yeah, exactly. You know, because mm-hmm. you know, in the slavery of death, I talk about how the life of Jesus is kind of a life of self-expenditure. But when everybody hears that, they're like, well, I'm already burnt out. I'm already, I don't have anything to give. They kind of, Brene Brown, I'm operating out of feeling of scarcity. No. And, and so, the, you know, the line I have in there is you can only go as far as your joy can take you. Because if you're not running on joy, mm. you're, you're running, you're chasing after some reinforcer or some shame yeah, or some. So I, I, you know, I think joy and gratitude are the indicators. Absolutely. Mm. My boy wants me to play um, wiffle ball with him. So I got to wrap this up. I think we should wrap it up now. I'm then. just typing in the name of that book you said, and I Listen. see my son going, Wiffle Ball. Wiffle Ball. Hey, there's nothing play more important ball. than Wiffle Ball with the kids. Join gratitude. You yeah, get to play right. Wiffle Ball. Hey, this has been a blast. How much fun was this? Uh, a million. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honored to do it again. It was great. We, well, you've got more books coming out. It's fantastic. We'll do it again. Richard, thank you. It was an honor. Jana, thank you for being our uh, studio water guest. <laughs> yes. Studio audience, whatever. Hey, see you guys. Thank you. 
Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.